Hi, DC exclusive artist Kian Tormi here. You're listening to the All Star Superfan Podcast. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we cover everything. Hello, superfans. Welcome to another exciting episode of All-Star Superfan, the podcast that explores the full 85-year history and legacy of the Man of Steel. I'm one of your hosts, Alan Burke, and I am joined once again. Wait, what's that? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's fellow All-Star Superfan co-host Rob O'Connor, ready once again to bring all the usual Superman-related nerd pleasure to your ear holes. How are you today, Rob? I'm... uh I, I'm I'm in the sky. I'm falling without a parachute. Can someone please call for help, uh, Superman, if if at all possible? Uh, I know I I'm I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman. Save me, Superman. What what is it, what is it that I love that episode of The Simpsons where he's praying and then he he looks like he's praying to God and they, you know if you're up there, save me, Superman, save me. Um, our socials again, folks. All Star Superfan on uh, at All Star Superfan on Facebook and Instagram at All Star Superpod on Twitter and at All Star Superpod at Gmail if you want to send us your voice notes and emails for the Metropolis Mailbag segment of the podcast. Um, any any news, Rob? Have you been keeping up with anything or what have you been enjoying over the last while? Uh, I've been in a big James Bond kick lately, um, <laughs> so I've been replaying all the classic James Bond games. So people have probably been seeing me post a lot about that in my um, my Instagram, Nineties Heroes and Toys. So I'm currently replaying Nightfire, which I know you really like. Loved Nightfire when it came out. I really enjoyed it, and then like five, six years later, when I was in my early 20s drinking in houses with housemate stage i used to break out nightfire on the ps2 and fire it up and we'd all play the multiplayer and it was uh, it was great fun i can confirm the multiplayer is still amazing and the next time we're in the same room together we should definitely play it are you the same as me like do, do your fandoms you have various fandoms the way i have various fandoms like do they kind of ebb and flow where sometimes you're at like like your peak james bond and then in six months you could be peak star trek because I'm really, really peak Star Trek myself at the moment. I'm back watching all the TOS movies. I'm obviously watching Star uh, Star Trek Picard season three, which has been, I love it. I think it's superb. Um, and uh, back to old TNG episodes. I'm playing Bridge Crew again. I'm reading the books. I'm reading the comics on the on the on the tablet. And yeah, I'm really into a Star Trek zone at the moment. Oh, I forgot to tell you this, Alan. Um, first of all, yes, I absolutely have ebbs and flows. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll you'll be able to tell very quickly what my current obsession is. And it's usually it drifts between Batman, Superman, James Bond, Spider-Man, whatever. Currently, it's James Bond. I meant to tell you this, and I don't think you know this. I finally got a PS VR set. And I have played Bridge Crew in VR. Ah, oh, no! That, oh, I, I, I've always wanted to do it and I just can't justify it at the moment. I just can't justify spending the big money on it. But oh, it's, is it amazing? It is. Abs- so first thing I'll say is that the coolest thing for me playing it was the actual intro, the menu screen, when, when it's like literally the TNG intro screen and you're just in space and like you're looking around you and it's and then the Enterprise sails over your head. Absolutely incredible stuff. The, the only thing is, I'm still, I still only have a controller. I don't have the little wandy the things. Wands, yeah. So Bridge Crew especially is a game that really requires those to really get the full effect because you're, 
you're literally controlling the captain's two hands. So if you're just playing with a controller, there is still a little bit of a disconnect and a little bit of kind of getting used to the fiddly controls, but it's still kick-ass just looking around the ship and, you know, you can see your feet and you can look up at the ceiling and it, it it is amazing. And I feel like I'd love to play a proper game with a bunch of people and not just with the AI. Cause and we, ha- we, we have in the past played online. Um, we have on, we, we've played online with others before. Never, I've never played it in VR. Or do you normally go with the Aegis, the Enterprise D? Are you a, a 1701 OG? Uh, I, I wish, like, I'd love to be better at the, the TNG and the TOS ships. But I think for that specific game, the default ship in that game, it just it's just easier to control and it's it's more fun to play, I find. Whereas like when you're dealing with the original series ship, the, the buttons are also confusing. Well, they're just they look like smarties. Yeah, like and it's amazing that they made it like I'm 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 grateful in a way that it is tricky and weird to play, but you know, when you just want to kick back and turn your brain off, it's much easier to play the default ship. And the TNG one I kind of don't like playing that one at all because you're just looking at virtual screens the whole time. There's very little actual controls in that one. I I do play both the Aegis, uh, which is obviously kind of Kelvin timeline designed, and the Enterprise D. The only thing about the Enterprise D really is that one, it's a behemoth. So it has like 50 torpedoes. It's hard to take out. And the second thing is the view screen is so far away from the captain's chair that it's very small. And it's, yeah, that's the only thing I don't like about it. But uh yeah, it's uh, like I never played uh, Bridge Commander or any of that stuff back in the day, so I love just jumping into a game. Oh, it's of, uh, it's a super crew. fun game. I wish I wish it had had like, I'm sorry, it does have a PC release, but I just wish there was more of a fan culture around it. Like maybe if there was fan made missions or something, because I don't know if it sold very well, so they never really did many updates to it. I would, by the way, you mentioned Bridge Commander there. I went back and played that for the first time about six months ago and that is a kick-ass game when you kind of get to grips with it after the first or second mission it's super fun to play and very similar to bridge crew and much more of a dedicated single player experience so highly highly recommend that if you can kind of just stick with it after the first kind of mission or two it becomes a kick-ass game i'm getting back into gaming a little bit now that my daughter's that little bit older for the first couple of years i couldn't really do it when she was a baby and she was waking up all the time and that kind of thing um but now she's kind of settled in she gets her eight or ten hours so especially with me and my wife who work shift work so when she's at work at night it's easy for me to sit down and and play a few hours Mm. um i there there is a new star trek game due for release in april of 2023 star trek resurgence I think it's a little bit more kind of a, a role-playing kind of a thing. I'm not 100% sure exactly I think it's going to be is, like those Telltale games, which is yes. I mean, perfectly fine way to make it like a Star Trek will lend itself really well to that. But like that, they always feel more like interactive movies to me than games. Like it's just a different thing. But, but like absolutely looking forward to that, Chet, by all means. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have to say I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Um your your return to retro gaming has have you yet to revisit superman 64 oh uh, it's sitting there it's downloaded or, or sorry it's it's uh, purchased i purchased the cartridge and <laughs> i i would never download an emulator for a game i don't already own um but uh no i just can't bring myself to, i'm having too much fun with these james bond games to go back and play something that i know is going to be god awful but it is it is on the agenda i did replay a bit of shadow of shadow of apocalypse uh again recently and that was a bit of fun um and uh, the one i'm really really keen to play is superman the man of steel for xbox which i have never played in my life and i have heard people say that it's decent i think our friend chris cloud did an episode of that on comics and consoles and i 
think he liked it and it like it deals with really really heavy post-crisis stuff there's brainiac 13 you go into the phantom zone in it like they do all kinds of crazy stuff i'd love to kind of give that a go at some stage so what are we going to talk about tonight rob yeah, so this is something we we kind of had had on the back burner for a while. We wanted to talk about Superman Red and Blue, which is uh, another one of those kind of anthology series that they do with Superman every kind of couple of years. There was a great one about kind of 10 or f- 10 years ago, I think, called um, Adventures of Superman. And it was literally just standalone stories by different writers and artists. And uh, there were some really, really good ones on that. This is similar to that. That The idea with this one, the kind of shtick, if you want, is that there are only ever two slash three colors in, in these stories. There's uh, Obviously, the inks are still black, but in, in every other respect, the only colors are blue and red and then white, as in blank spaces. Um, and it's really, really interesting the way they do it. But then the stories themselves are very much kind of self-contained, kind of short stories, um, character-driven um Sometimes there's ones that are more plot driven, uh, but they're just really, really good. And I think I was telling you off, Mike, that I think Superman especially lends himself really well to these kinds of stories where, you know, there's they're sort of out of continuity and they could kind of take place anywhere in his career. And, you know, especially for, you know, the, the canon at the moment now is that Superman has a son and he's married and there's all these other super people running around and. You know, so if you're, say, a fan of the Superman movies or the animated series and you just want to see something that's, you know, status quo, traditional Superman, these kinds of books are great because they just give you like a litany of different adventures, but w- written in sort of more of a modern sensibility. And, and, and these ones, some of the ones we're going to talk about tonight, I think, are really, really strong, or at least even if they're not fully successful, they're really, really interesting, I think. Um, and it's a it's a kick ass series. And there's some great creators on it that don't usually work on kind of the day-to-day Superman comics, so it's really, really cool to see them. Like there's writers, some of the writers include um, Mark Wade, Tom King, John Ridley, Brandon Easton, uh, Dan Watters, Chuck Brown, uh, artists like Wes, uh, Wes Craig, Clayton Henry, Jill Thompson. Michael Fife, who I'm really excited to talk about, by the way, he he does a story in this and it's it's so crazy and weird and great looking and it's not like anything you'd usually see in a Superman comic. One of my favorites, Matt Wagner is in it. I, I Matt Wagner, of, yeah. Yeah, I love a bit of Matt Wagner. I was thinking there, is John Ridley the first ever Academy Award winner to write a Superman story? Does Mario Puzo count? Mario, yeah, but like a Superman comic though. I don't know. I don't know. That's the truth. Possibly. Possibly. I I think he might be. I need to I need to look into that. Like I'm trying to think who else, like what, what other kind of big names have written Superman comics? I can't. Yeah, I know. Mario Puzo, I kind of walked into that. But other than that, like, I, I think he, he's the only one to write a Superman comic. The only reason that Mario Puzo jumped into my head is because I'm just after finishing watching the 10 episodes of The Offer on Paramount Plus, which is oh, all yes. about the making of The Godfather, the behind the scenes drama. And a lot of it features Mario Puzo. And there's even a scene in one of the final episodes where he's like, I just got a massive paycheck to write Superman. <laughs> we should actually... Um, this is very Reeve specific, but if ever, I don't know if you've ever read the Mario Puzo script. No, no. I've, I I heard you speaking about it on the podcast before. Um, I can't remember if it was with Jim or, or Mark or who it was, but I, uh, no, I, I've never, I've never it's read it. It's pretty crazy. Like it's, it's really dense and there's loads in it. And I think like, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was a fourth Kryptonian villain in it. Like that there was a guy called Jack L in it. 
And yeah, no, there's just so much more to it. And like Lex and Miss Tessmacher are kind of darker in it, but like th- then a lot of other stuff is much campier. And uh, like I, ve- I, I specifically remember a scene where Superman, y- you know, the bit when he's flying around kind of straight after revealing himself to Metropolis, he's flying around and fighting all these crimes and stuff. He goes to like a, a cocaine factory and like blows cocaine o- over all these gangsters or something like that. And I was like, that's that's maybe a richer spice than I need for my <laughs> Superman movie. Now, if Zack Snyder's listening, you know, there you go. There's another idea. But uh, I always I always remember the anecdote. Uh, I think Tom Mankiewicz uh, tells in one of the behind the scenes specials yeah. about how he had Superman landing and it was Terry Savalas and who loves, who loves you, baby. baby. That apparently that wasn't. I always thought that that was Mario Puzo, but apparently that was the Newmans when they came ah. in. They they had that in their script and he took it out or something. But yeah. There's all kinds of craziness in those Superman scripts. Well, that that belongs solely in Superman three. Um, definitely not, definitely not Superman the movie. And we're going on a crazy tangent here. I just want to say, by the way, Alan, I'm in this big James Bond mood at the moment. We need to do an episode at some point. And if anyone else is listening, don't steal this idea because it's my idea. We need to do an episode on the link between James Bond and Superman and Batman as well, because there's there's loads of like the Superman franchise in films and Batman franchise in films would not exist without James Bond. There's loads of interesting ways that they've kind of crossed paths and, you know, Guy Hamilton was supposed to direct Superman and Tom Mankiewicz wrote a really interesting draft for Batman. There's loads of stuff like that. Love to do. We've all seen the photograph of Roger Moore with Christopher Reeve during the making of uh, Superman 3. Roger Moore's in the clown makeup from what film was that from? From, That was from Octopussy, Octopussy. yeah. And Christopher Reeve is literally fresh off the Superman 3 set. He's still wearing his wig and everything and he looked great and they're just standing beside each other smiling. Roger Moore had loads of anecdotes about Christopher Reeve in his autobiography. Um, loads of stuff like that. And like Pinewood, Superman was all shot in Pinewood. James Bond was shot in Pinewood. Batman was shot in Pinewood. Loads of the same people worked on them. So it'd be really, really cool to talk about that sometime. Yeah, I look forward to that. Um, Just in getting back to to anthologies and stuff, would you be a fan generally of kind of anthology material, TV shows, books, comic books? Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I know we talked about this before in the context of standalone episodes and stuff like that. Um, I, I think we're kind of we've kind of come full circle with that. Like I remember growing up and you know, all these shows would be coming out and you'd be going, Oh, I, I wish it was more of a continuing story. Like it, it'd be much better, blah, blah, blah. Like why are more things not like lost, <laughs> which is just a baffling thing to say now. But now I think we're starting to see anthology shows really coming back in a big way. Like Star Trek, strange new worlds, obviously, but then also you have stuff like that new thing, poker face, which people really, really like. It's like a Columbo type show where it's a whodunit and every episode is a new story, a new adventure. Um, Even there's like a little bit of that trickling into Superman and Lois this season, I notice. Like they are still telling one unfolding story, but there's a lot more of a standalone element to the episodes, I noticed, than the previous seasons. Um, So, so yeah, like I, 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 everything's a balance, you know. I I think, you know, I I never want to go back to, a world where we've seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation and there's 26 episodes and they're all standalone or at least, you know, 95% of them are standalone. I don't think that's the answer either, but I think there needs to be a balance and it's definitely the same thing with comics. I think there will always be room for comics that can tell an entire story in like 25 pages and it's a shame that everything has to be this big long arc where nothing has really happened in the space of an entire issue that cost you like six dollars or something 
Um, so yeah, so I really like when they do these kinds of books like Red and Blue, where you know there, there's a story or more than one story, as the case maybe with this. There's an entire story, you know, and you're getting a couple of different entire stories basically in in the one comic i think it's great that that exists and and i wish the, the one that kind of pops into my mind is um is batman black and white are you a fan of that batman black and white and also batman legends of the dark knight which ran throughout the 90s and was such a good comic it was so so good now when i say like they they weren't really legends of the dark knight they, they weren't always standalone stories but they, they would be like four part stories and then that was it and there was no kind of carryover continuity or anything like that and there was never these big long 12 issue arcs definitely black and white is probably a better example in terms of like literally every issue would have one story in it um i i remember there was a great joker origin that parker's always banging on about it's what was it called and alex rocks alex ross did the pencils for it um and it's very close to kind of the it's very close to like the batman 89 version or like the animated series version where he's a gangster first and then he becomes the joker and God, I'm killing, I'm kicking myself. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a really, really good story. If anyone knows that yeah, one, yeah, no, like I, I've always been a fan of anthology. I'm a big horror fan as well, especially kind of retro '80s horror and that kind of stuff, and even stuff from the '70s and stuff. I'd be a huge fan of of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone from the late '50s and, and '60s. Um, a big fan of that, and to a lesser extent, the uh, Twilight Zone from the '80s. Um, films from the '80s like Creep Show, and even the current TV series Creep Show that's on Shudder and things like that. I I just always like being able to just dip in, watch a, a good story, or read a good story, and then jump out. And that's something I got from this book. It was just nice to sit down, and like the sh- the stories are short and sweet. I, I I didn't count how many stories are. It's a six issue, um, book, two hundred and fifty seven pages in total, and it was released on March sixteenth, twenty twenty one. Um, but I I like. If, if there's a story you don't like it's it they're they're quick they're sweet and quick and you're on to the next thing and it's more often than not i found that i was really enjoying the stories it was one or two that i was i wasn't too fond of um, but overall i i think it had a lot more hits than misses yeah and and we'll get into this when we get into the individual stories so many of them are about clark kent as a journalist which i thought was kick-ass i'd kind of forgotten that it's been a couple of months since i've read this and i was reading through it again going yeah brilliant because it's so rare that we get that now in comics. And I, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, again, I, I didn't count how many stories there are in full, but there are quite a few. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to chat about kind of our two favorites and then maybe just mention a couple of honorable mentions or something like that. Maybe a couple of other ones that we liked. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. You take it away first. What was your first, uh, What was what, which story did you, did you like the best? Okay, cool. So we did talk about this off mic and I've now, I've since picked two other ones that I want to talk about instead. And then when we do the honorable mentions, I'll mention the other ones. So the two ones I really liked are in issue five. Um, and the first one is, the first one is called Superman in Deadline. It was written, written by Jesse J. Holland and it was um, penciled by Laura Braga. Uh, the colors by Hi-Fi, Dave Sharp, the letters. And it's basically, um, it's 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 a really short story, uh, and the premise is Superman has a lunch date. Clark Kent has a lunch date with Bruce Wayne and Diana Prince, and they both uh, they, he has a deadline coming up. Perry White is screaming that he needs to get the story in the next couple of minutes, and they're they're giving out to him that he's late for lunch. And meanwhile, there's all these Superman related disasters going on as well, and they have a bet to see if he'll make it on time and then they both kind of just have this kind of um banter about you know how unreliable and clumsy clark is but also how 
great a journalist he is and how great a hero he is and it's just a really really lovely story nothing like it doesn't kind of doesn't kind of reinvent the wheel or anything like that there's a lot of like familiar stuff in it like there's a bit where superman's flying these goons off to jail and they say oh we've hidden bombs all over the city superman we've covered them all in lead and he has this really funny response where he goes yeah people always get that wrong like by hiding something in lead it makes it easier for me to see because i can just scan the whole city and see you know the weird spots that i can't see through and find the bombs really easily now superman does do this in a in a John Byrne comic like years and years ago I don't know if this writer is referring to that or if it's just a similar idea but I did think that was funny when he was like yeah people always get this wrong and then obviously at the end of the story he doesn't miss the lunch date and he hands in his deadline on time and it's just a a lovely little sweet character piece and I really love the artwork actually uh, I was going to say it yeah I really out of all the stories it is is it is one that I really really liked the art and really appreciated the art the most yeah it's just it's it's really expressive and it's kind of like goofy in a good way like it, the, the, yeah. the detail is really really good but like Clark's suit it sort of hangs on him in a weird way and it's like it almost reminded me of the um, the Clark to Superman action figure from the Superman Returns line where the clothes would all just like didn't quite fit him because they were you know squeezed around this tiny little action figure he kind of looks like that and you know the red blue and white thing is really really well done in this superman's phone is red which i kind of thought was cool um yeah and and the art the art throughout the book really varies i mean you get a wide spectrum of different kind of styles and you know uh, uh like there's real kind of like almost dark night there's one story where he's in space and it's kind of real dark night returns kind of mm. look about it and there's other ones then that are you know more traditional there's one that's very much kind of uh the matt i think it's the matt wagner one it's very kind of based on the kind of fleischer era of superman the 30s 40s era and it's it's, it's beautifully done yeah lovely so yeah look that that's my first one really really enjoyed it and just perfect kind of example of kind of what i like about this book and very much a character driven story but there's loads of fun little plot bits in it as well spiritually spiritually it kind of reminded me of the story that we covered in the uh, superman and lois book where they were trying to go on their date and they couldn't quite make it now it is it is different but uh, it kind of it had a little kind of rem- it brought me back to that story which i really really liked uh, very very book. very similar to that actually yeah um yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's a lot of those kind of like th- there's a superboy episode because every episode of the all-star superfan <laughs> podcast we have to mention superboy there's a superboy <laughs> episode called a day in the double life and for my money it's one of the best superboy episodes and it's one of the it's a similar thing where like clark has a bunch of stuff to do but meanwhile he has to run off and solve all these other superboy related problems and you know he you know so it, it's another one of those kind of ones quick mention by the way i'm sure you notice this as well there is a panel where clark does a shirt rip and he's running and it, it looks exactly the same as the shot in superman 2 the theatrical version where he does that kick-ass shirt rip and he's running and i know they obviously paid homage to it in the superman 78 book as well but i i really really enjoy that there's a there's a lot of kind of reeve throwbacks and and reeve references throughout uh these stories actually yeah yeah there's there's one of the stories in particular you can see he has the, the exact reeve s on his mm. chest and um there's there is one story i've already mentioned in my honorable mentions de-escalation which the Clark Kent is very much based on the on the Clark on the Christopher Reeve Clark Kent, where he goes in and basically stops an armed robbery as Clark Kent. Oh, cool! I don't even uh, remember that one. I'll have to watch that one afterwards. Yeah, that's uh, I really I really enjoyed that one. Um, so yeah, so the first story, uh, my first one, is a little bit unusual because I 
I couldn't find a name for it. Uh, some some of the stories have the title at the start. Some of the, the stories have the title at the end, but I couldn't find a title for it. So I, I, I'm just referring to it as fatherhood. Um, and it's again, it's a short little story, very short. And it's about Jonathan Kent. It's, it's written by um, it's written and and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson. And it's a story about Jonathan Kent going to his local pastor, local priest uh, in, in his church and basically just looking for counsel and guidance because he's struggling like so many of us do in those first few weeks and months of being a new father and having a child. And I just thought it was a lovely little story. Um, lovely. It really resonated with me. Jonathan Kent goes, he talks to the to the priest and he basically explains that, you know, he kind of thought he knew how things worked and he thought he had a handle on the world. But now that he's a father, he doesn't really understand how to be a father. Um, and that he's kind of there's a there's a line in a, in in there where he goes uh, and when I look into my son's eyes I sense a fear in me I didn't know I had how can I be responsible for his growing up when I'm so lost and the message that the priest kind of and I'm not a religious person but the, the message that the priest kind of conveys onto Jonathan is that all you have to do at the end of the day is make sure your child knows that you love your child and that you support your child and it goes through these scenes then of Jonathan going home and picking up um, Clark out of the crib and telling him he loves him and telling him he's special and then saying those things over and over again at different stages of of Clark's life. There's a scene where Clark is kind of crying. You know, I get the impression that it's just after he's found out that he's from another world and he's telling him he's special and they're working on the, the tractor together and he just keeps on doing it and he, you turn the page or you flip the page and Clark is standing at Jonathan's graveside and the message is still kind of in his ears and then he passes that message on to everybody that he encounters as superman you know he's sitting there with homeless people and he's telling them that they're special mm. and you know people he's saving and it, it just it really resonated with, with me maybe it's because i'm a dad only a couple of years and like jonathan arguably jonathan kent is like one of the best dads in like modern literature maybe in comic book literature like he's he's definitely in comic book literature he's just this solid Unless you're the Kevin Costner version, he's like this solid. He's like this, just this solid dad who just seems to have all the answers. Mm. Like if you're the John Schneider version of Jonathan Kent, or you know, yeah, and uh, or the Glenn Ford version, or and the Eddie Jones version, to, or the Eddie Jones version, and to see him struggling um, at that because I remember what it was like, and he there there is a there is a a, a a point in the in the story where he talks about the fear that he f- feels when he looks at his child. And we all feel that, all the dads listening feel that, like this unbelievable, just, oh my God, I'm responsible for this person and how am I going to do this? And, you know, and the message is a solid message, you know, like half the battle is just making sure your kid knows that you love them and that they're supported and that you're there for them when when you need them. And uh, I just thought it was a beautiful way because, you know, Clark becomes Superman because of Jonathan Martha. It's not because of Jor-El, it's not because of, of, of Lara. Um, it's not because of the powers. There's so many stories that have shown that it's not because of the powers. It's because of the lessons that he learns growing up. And I just think it was, a, for, for a couple of pages, I just thought it was a beautiful, beautiful story. And to further that point, I don't want to pick up on something else you said, but to further that point, I would say it's not through some kind of grand call, like dramatic, tragic call to action like other superheroes. He just had a really great upbringing, two beautiful people you know, happened to be the people who found him and they loved him so much and it, it makes perfect sense that he would become Superman. And that's what I love about the Kents. I've mentioned this before. My girlfriend is adopted and the 
probably the version of Superman that resonated with her the most is Lois and Clark because it's such a positive depiction of adoption and they aren't used as this sort of dramatic fodder to sort of oh well you know now that he's really sad he gets to become the hero kind of thing like a lot of other versions of Superman including the Reeve films you know and I, I think if nothing else James Gunn please if you're listening and I can't imagine why you would be keep the counts alive for god's sake just just or keep jonathan alive especially because martha is usually luckier in that regard but keep jonathan alive and let him see clark become superman and and explore the different types of fatherhood that exist in superman's life that it's such interesting fodder for a movie like and they've never done it before you know the the other thing i was going to say though was we are doing a man of steel episode this year to celebrate 10 years of man of steel and i like for better and for worse i do think it explores what you were talking about just there. You know, it, it does take time to explore that. And Kevin Costner's version of Jonathan Kent is all about asking those questions. How do I do this? What is the correct way of doing it? Whether or not the film, you know, accomplished that, I don't know. But I, I am really, really interested to go back to it to get your take as a father because it's probably the first time you've seen it since you became a father that film is it absolutely the first time i would have seen it i haven't seen it since i became a so dad. i think it'll be interesting to go back and kind of ask those questions of it because i think you know we can say what we like about zack snyder he did he did definitely try to tackle that question of what would it be like to be superman's dad maybe a little bit more than the reeve movie where it was just sort of a thing at the start of the movie and then the movie moves on from it like whereas the whole movie of man of steel was kind of centered around jonathan kent and you know what does it mean to be you know whatever but um no looking forward to that um so what's your second pick my second pick is a very very different story to the first one i pick it's called a uh, kill gore city now kill gore is spelled a really funny way it's kill k-i-l-g and then the percentage logo, or E city, right? So th- this is probably a bit of a weird one, but this one was uh, written and penned by a guy named Michel Fife or Fife, Fife maybe. Um, Fife. Uh, I he's a really really interesting um, creator. He 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 has this comic called Copra, which is kind of his love letter to insane crazy 90s comics like young blood and all that just rob liefeld shite <laughs> from the <laughs> 90s but but he's the difference is michelle fifth uh is an exceptional storyteller and in fact he really really doesn't like when people make fun of rob liefeld so apologies michelle if you're listening like he thinks that you know he was a, a really interesting talent at a really interesting time of comics and he kind of brings that sensibility apologies my voice is a bit gone tonight he brings that whole sensibility of just crazy 90s madness into this story where it's basically Superman and what appears to be some version of the Justice League. Uh, very, very similar to kind of the 90s, the crazy 90s B-lister Justice League that, you know, before Grant Morrison came along. Booster Gold is in there, which I'm always a fan of. Um, and he was very much like early 90s Justice League. Cyborg is there, Hawkgirl. And they're, they're just, they're taking on this monster called Kilgore who is taking the form of all of Superman's uh, most powerful villains. So you see them kind of fighting up against Doomsday. Brainiac shows up, but it's not actually Brainiac or Doomsday. It's just this, these manifestations of it. Um, and I think what, what what it eventually transpires is that... Uh, oh, and Cyborg Superman shows up. Love him. Um, what eventually transpires is that it's a classic kind of Star Trek thing where actually the machine was worried that the human controllers 
once they discovered that it was self-aware, they were so afraid and they left it alone that it then became all these evil versions so that it would just attract heroes to it uh, just so it wouldn't be lonely. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it, it's a classic kind of Star Trek conundrum of like, why didn't you just ask for help kind of thing? Um, and it ends on this lovely splash page of Superman saying, you know, we need never be alone again. And there's just a lovely Michelle uh, Fief, um picture of all these heroes surrounding Superman. The, to be honest, it, it was mainly the artwork that I really loved about this story. It's, again, what I love about these anthology books is you can give Superman or Batman to these really unconventional artists that don't draw in this sort of DC house style where everyone's just trying to look like Jim Lee. Uh, it's really, really frenetic artwork. There's so much, like, just, you know, jammed into every single panel. It's amazing. And I don't know. Have you read this story, uh, Alan? Oh, yes. If I'm not mistaken, friend of the podcast, Michael Bailey, makes a cameo appearance in this story. There's a bit where Superman saves a Star Labs technician and he looks like Michael Bailey. Like he, he is a man with glasses, a goatee and long hair. And he has a patch on his breast pocket that says Bailey on it. And Michael Bailey has this as his Twitter uh, profile photo. So if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, this literally is supposed to be Michael Bailey. Now, I don't know. Does, he, he must be a fan of his podcasting work or his work on the Superman homepage. Like Michael Bailey's been around long enough that like people would have, like I grew up with him on Superman homepage. So it's not, it's not outside the realms of possibility that this guy was that would really be the apex of the podcasting dream yeah like i mean <laughs> like if a friend of the podcast mark wade or anybody is listening if you can get us into the comic books that will we just wrap it up yeah There's or no key and tormy you know friend of the podcast or key and tormy, into, yeah, like absolutely. next time superman comes to dublin <laughs> you know but i'd say i'd say Mi- be michelle fife is such a big fan of 90s comics it would make sense that he would listen to michael's podcast from crisis to crisis yeah so yeah i fully yeah, suspect yeah, that absolutely. this is actually michael bailey in this comic which is kick-ass that is a great, uh, a great grab. Well done. I, I didn't, I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and have a look at that one. I didn't notice that at all. It kind of reminded me, um, art-wise, like there's all these. Um, I don't know. How, it's not stop motion, but there was all these kind of animated films in the eighties. Like there's one. I, I don't know if you know. It's called Heavy Metal. You can see it on Netflix. That real kind of uh, like live action, like the Masters of the Universe cartoon from the from the eighties, was kind of done that way, where they kind of filmed people in real life and then transferred it to animation. But it kind of it gave me that kind of a feel to it. I could almost picture it in that kind of animated form, maybe. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no. The, Michelle Fief is one of these guys I'd, I'd love to see kind of an animated attempt. But but again, I wouldn't want to see one of these like straight to video DC animated movies. I'd, I I think give him like a Spider Verse budget and just go crazy and. You know, I'd love to see an animated movie like that. Great pick. Yeah, that's a great pick. Um, My next one is, again, it kind of follows the same theme a little bit as my last pick. It is called The School of Hard Knocks, written by uh, Margaret Bennett and uh, drawn by uh, Jill Thompson. And it's, again, very simple story. It's about Clark starting school for the first time as a, as a kid. And he's riddled with anxiety about fitting in and belonging and not being ostracized because he's different and you can see the juxtaposition of the kids telling him that everything's going to be fine and then their own inner monologue of how worried they are that he'll be thought of as a freak and everything and lo and behold he goes to school and he gets on 
like a house on fire he gets on with all the kids um jonathan tells him a knock-knock joke that he tells the other children makes them laugh he realizes you know he can draw he draws dinosaurs and the kids love it and they play games and he he, ha- he has a great time but he notices a little girl who has been kind of socially ostracized and kind of shunned by the rest of the kids and it really bothers him and it shows kind of the goodness of of Clark Kent even from such a young age it really it really bothers him that this girl has been kind of left out and he's riddled with guilt really he goes home and he tells his parents about it and he is afraid to do the right thing and we've all been in that position I think where we see an injustice or we see something that we wish we'd kind of stepped in or said something or done something and it's it's the lessons again that the Kents give Clark in relation to it like and they say to him at one point they say Clark if you see a problem especially if it affects another person you must also always see yourself as someone who can help solve that problem just seeing it and being bothered by it is not enough and even though he's riddled with guilt about it uh, riddled with worry and anxiety about what if he will be ostracized by stepping him in and helping the girl he does the right thing anyway and it kind of turns the tide for her and the kids come over and they play with her and they play with him and she's kind of accepted into the group and it ends with them having a kind of a, a a sleepover and it's a real it's a real simple story but again as a dad it's something that you know parents being worried about sending their kids out into the world and to school where you can't really protect them anymore and it's so crazy even from my own point of view seeing the little like Alana Jean goes to uh, a crash um, she goes for like three hours in the morning and she goes for a long day once a week where she's there from like 9am until 4pm and you can see the social circles developing already and you can see the interactions and you can see I remember saying it to, to my wife Stacy one time I was like the first time she comes home and tells me that someone's been mean to her or that someone's made her cry I don't know how I'm going to react to that and yeah. it's the fear again that all parents go through and you know it explores the fear of social uh, of social isolation on the part of the child and the parent it explores the fear and anxiety of a parent releasing their child into the bigger world um the importance of being accepted to people and yeah i just thought and you know the maturity to realize that you're accepted because of the support you you yourself received like like there's one point in the story where clark realizes that he's funny because his dad taught him jokes and he's he can draw because martha paints and she taught him how to paint and his parents taught him how to play games and this other child you know may not have had that support and therefore she can't adjust to the to the social environment the way that he could and he learns the valuable lesson that he can pass on the things that he was taught and i just thought it was a lovely a lovely little story i'm I'm always fascinated by the stories that kind of concentrate on the human condition element of these heroes and these people and yeah like as much as I enjoy like the sci-fi elements and the space stuff and Mongol and all that kind of crack, you know, it, it's really the small character moments that I really, really like and seeing how they're building this wall of who this person is. And it's those things that I think a lot of people don't really get about Superman, you know, like he'd almost be Superman and, and the de-escalation um, story that I was talking about earlier on, I'll talk about it later. That kind of just goes to show like I, Superman would still be pretty super if he wasn't, if he didn't have the powers. You know, he'd kind of be, you know, uh, what, what was what was the, the guy's name from Superman Returns? The fiance? Oh, Richard White. I Stop. thought you were going to say Atticus Richard. Finch from, uh, <laughs> the, oh, what's it called? The, I always think his name is Jason for some reason. That Jason's the son. Um, but yeah, I just, I th- thought it was a lovely little story. To Kill a Mockingbird, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I often wonder that. I was like, 
God, I mean, I get I get so frustrated and so, you know, tired of the emphasis so many Superman things need to put on the action and the punching and and all that stuff. And I was, I'm kind of like, you know, do I just need to, you know, write a story where Clark Kent is just a journalist and that's yeah. the story, you know, and, and Lex Luthor and all that is still there, but it's just, you know, he's just a journalist and that, you know, I, I often wonder because... You know, if Bruce Wayne was just Bruce Wayne, he'd just be some rich guy. It wouldn't be very interesting. Yeah. Clark Kent is potentially still a very interesting dynamic character who could just lead this really interesting life and extol the virtues of this small town upbringing he's had. And, you know, you know that kind of way? Um, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that's part of why I love the uh, post-crisis kind of era of Superman so much was that they weren't afraid to tell smaller stories and like character building stories and just build out the world of the Daily Planet and all these just human characters that didn't have superpowers and didn't engage in kind of superhero stuff um, like Cat Grant and, you know, Perry White, Alice White, Perry White's adopted son, Keith, all this stuff, you know, and um, that is a big part of why I like Superman and Lois so much is that, you know, not, not, not just, you know, by artistic demand but also by virtue of the fact that they just can't afford to do movie level stuff every week they kind of have to tell smaller stories and i think that's what makes a lot of these superman tv shows that we so often talk about that that's what makes them so interesting is that it, it's the same as star trek in that sometimes when you're constrained by budget and stuff like that and you're forced to tell smaller stories that can lead to innovation and more interesting stories overall you know um, so we do a couple of honourable mentions is there any other stories that you'd like to mention in the in it or that you liked or didn't like even yes so th- this very first one actually uh, the first one in the whole series um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in limb and suspect that you probably don't like this one yeah, I'm really excited to get your view on this because this is the one that you told me you were going to mention as yeah. one of your picks earlier and I was like you're like it's definitely not one of my <laughs> yeah it's definitely you see you know me now you see <laughs> yeah so the the story is basically that Clark Kent uh ace reporter Clark Kent is going to interview uh someone a, a former dictator from the former Soviet Republic of Lubania which yeah. is a ridiculous name um and the, the, the story is Clark is really anxious and not looking forward to it at all because um, essentially what happened was the last time he was in Lubania, uh, they used some form of kryptonite on him that wasn't powerful enough to hurt him or anything like that. But it just, um, you know, took away his powers, which that's not what kryptonite does, but that's OK. Uh, took away his powers and they captured him and he was he was in a prison cell for eight months. Yeah. And I found then that they, a long time. <laughs> they, they kind of, um, and, and, and he's been tortured by this dictator or whatever. And the dictator doesn't know that he's Clark Kent. He only knows that he's Superman. Um, and then it, there's just this little caption that says, eventually with Batman's help, I escaped the camp. But in all these years, I've never been free of it. Like it's, it's this extremely harrowing thing that must have happened in Superman's life. And, and then Clark Kent has to interview this guy. And, and he just has to sit down and pretend like he doesn't know him. And, it goes through the it, the fantasies he's playing out in his head where, you know, on the one hand, he fantasizes about the guy just breaking down in tears, like realizing the, the depths of his crimes. And then the other fantasy he has, he realizes that he's just pure evil and Superman heat visions him to death and all this. And then the reality is neither is neither. And I, I just, you know, 
as someone who dabbled in journalism, I, I think it's a really, really interesting look at Superman as a journalist. And I know what you're going to say. My <laughs> thought on it is it it is far too big a story to yes. fit into the short story yes. format. Uh, and it does definitely gloss over stuff like with Batman's help I escaped you know like like that that needs to be four issues you know but uh, I thought it was like I'd love to see this in a longer form story you've you've nailed it you nailed my issue with it I thought that this is almost a full story or at least a full issue story it's it was like in prison for eight months tortured there's look and maybe I picked it up wrong like but is there a kind of an insinuation that they like sexually assaulted him or at least oh wow i didn't get that like there's a page there where he goes every day they would drag me into the interview room every day they would restrain me in a way that left me exposed and vulnerable and every day for eight months they they did things to me they did things to me while i was forced to look at him yeah i just thought it was a bit dark now maybe i picked that up wrong yeah well do you know what do you know what i mean john ridley i looked this up he won the other academy award for uh oh well he he wrote 12 years a slave uh sorry that's what he won the best adapted screenplay for so you know and we all know i don't get into political stuff but we all know how evil and how depraved some of the stuff they do in guantanamo bay is let alone other places so you know now does that belong in a superman story i don't know but i i you know i i think the germ of a really really good idea is here and i think enough of it enough of it is executed well that i was kind of like wow you know and not in a trippy, not in an edgy kind of look how dark this is kind of way. I thought it was actually kind of a a, a fairly nuanced take at PTSD. Um, I just think maybe it, it wasn't suited to something yeah. as short as this. And I, I, I think I think a full issue would be, would have been better. And I think I don't know if Superman is the character to examine this with. I just I am not a hundred percent. I love the art. That's where we disagree. I I I would I like. I don't think you should never tell dark stories with Superman in them. I, I, and I think this is the right way to do it. Like he never loses his resolve. Yeah, but I think if I was doing it, I would concentrate more on maybe Superman trying to live with failing someone or the trauma yeah. of not saving someone or being too late or uh, leaving someone down more so than being locked up and tortured. You know that maybe that's just, that's just my where I if I was coming at this myself and don't get me wrong I'm no writer but if I was coming at it I think that's the kind of route I would take at it. Um, but I think though that 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 assumes that Superman is an infallible character. I I I like the idea that Superman is fallible and that there are chinks in his armor and that he is ultimately human and there are nuances to his character. But it is a tricky balance, so definitely. And, you know, so many times people have gotten that wrong and they've just drifted too far into the, well, you know, maybe he just wants to kill everybody, you know, and that's not the way to do it either. But uh, no, look, I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I, just, I thought it was very interesting, but maybe not not for the short story format. In terms of, I actually struggled to uh, pick two stories because I, I really found that there was a lot of really good stuff in, in uh, Superman um Red and blue, and uh, one of one of the ones that I really liked is one called a special. And again, it's just a, a nice little kind of uh, uh, short story, and it's all about a waitress working in the local diner in Smallville, and she's kind of there, and she's present for all these major points in Clark's life as he's growing up. When the Kents bring him in after they've adopted him, um, kind of his first breakup with Lana Lang or his first girlfriend. Um, bringing Lois home to visit uh, the Kents for the first time 
um, coming home to visit his father, bringing, you know, talking about his own son and stuff. And after Jonathan dies and everything and he's back and she she consoles him for a little bit. And there's this kind of lovely, it just ends with this lovely kind of scene where she is kind of uh, deflated. She's she she starts off young, obviously, and then she's she's quite old or um, at, at least retirement age. And she sits down and she kind of unloads on Clark and kind of says, you know, I don't think I've led a fulfilling life. And, you know, maybe I haven't really followed my dreams. And then Clark just kind of reminds her how special she has been to him throughout all those years. And again, I just thought it was a lovely little character piece. That's lovely. And you know what that reminds me of, Alan? What does it remind you? The Superboy episode Into the Mystery written by our friend J.M. DeMatteis. And I said this to him on the show. That that's one of the ones this where... The, this is the death one, isn't it? Yeah. it's the, it, And it's one of the ones where I don't really joke around about it. Like, it's actually genuinely a great... And do and you know what? It is kind of a short story in a way. Like, it's a self-contained episode. It's only 24 minutes long or whatever. And it's we learn all about Clark Kent's eccentric auntie. And, you know, everybody thought she was weird and strange, but he really bonded with her because she was so outgoing. She wanted to see the world and she just knew what it was like to be different. And that's kind of, he saw a kindred spirit in her. And then, you know, he, he found out that she was really sick. And then he encounters, as we said, yeah, he encounters the Grim Reaper over the course of the episode. And then we find out that the Grim Reaper is actually trying to bring him to the, um, to to the to the side of this auntie to to her bedside so that he can say goodbye to her before she dies and it's it I think it's a great story written by a great comic book artist or writer I should say and yeah very similar to that um any other one you want to mention before we wrap up last honorable mention goes to one called the boy who saved Superman um again doesn't reinvent the wheel at all it's just a lovely story there's a guy coming to the Daily Planet and he's um he's interviewing for a job and Clark's like oh my God this guy is my hero. And uh, it flashes back then to a story early on in Superman's career where he's been, I, I think he's been exposed for kryptonite again. Or no, he hasn't. He's just been in a battle and he's been, he's had the shit punched out of him. And this kid is like, the, the building is crumbling around this kid and Superman's at his feet and he goes, come on, you got to get up. Like, I can't, I can't lose my home. Like, I can't lose another home today. Not today, my friend. And he picks him up and he like screams at him to wake up. And the, the whole story is basically him guiding Superman up these stairs. Everything's collapsing around him and uh, tells him his name, Abdi El Khal, and uh, eventually just screams at Superman until he gets up. Superman gets up, saves the day. And, uh, you know, it, effectively, it's implied that this boy saved Superman's life. And, and now, yeah. years later, he's applying for a job at the Daily Planet. He gets it. And Clark, you know, acts like a big fanboy nerd around him. He's like, oh, I, you know, I loved your work. I read your work in this such and such a foreign um publication i'm so glad to see and then the kid's just like yeah okay you know need my hand back there ed or like in batman forever whatever uh just a really cute little story and again superman's an immigrant story this kid's like couldn't be you know he he's blatantly an immigrant it's implied that i think he came over from a war-torn country and then returned there after this and now he's back again in metropolis uh just really really sweet and lovely and i, I thought it was really really good yeah, I really like that one too. Um, I there, like there, there is there's so much good stuff here. Um, there was one called A Little As A Lot where it, it's about uh, Superman struggling to hold up a bridge and it's it's just a little story, a little uh, thing about the the member, the people, met, Metropolitans, is that what you would call them, coming over and helping him prop Metropolitans. it up? Metropolitans. Metropolitans. Um, there's one called Saved by Superman about uh, 
a guy who kind of invents this Superman challenge where people like social influencers are throwing themselves off buildings so Superman will help them and save them and Superman kind of explains to him that you know you want to be the person that I saved not the you want to grow up to be the person that I saved and not the person that I saved people from which I thought was a great line um you know explaining why he can't be going around uh, you know why it's not important to, to film your whole life basically and, and put it on display but the one uh the last honorable mention really is the one I spoke about earlier the escalation again small story clearly based on the Christopher Reeve version of Clark Kent Clark Kent walks into a, a grocery store there's a girl there that he knows he's chatting to her she's studying for her exams her dad or her grandfather whoever it is who owns the place isn't there he's chit-chatting with her you know being clumsy everything that he, he normally does really shtick guy comes in with a gun and a balaclava holds up the place and he immediately kind of drops the facade and a skill that it has taken me a long time to learn in my job that I will readily admit that I did not walk into my job, you know, prepared with, with this skill uh, is de-escalation. It's just taking the taking the wind out of somebody by kind of calming them down and saying, here, look, is this really the way you want to go down? And I was really impressed. It was a, there's a little side piece where Clark kind of goes behind the guy and locks the door because he's afraid that someone will come in and just scare him and get shot. And he basically just turns into Superman without turning into Superman and, and talks this guy down. Your man hands, the guy hands over the gun, guy leaves. The girl is like, Clark, how the hell did you do that? And he kind of brushes it off. And then she picks up a Superman action figure, or Teddy, and she runs outside. And I thought, I think the reader's meant to think that she's after figuring out that he's Superman. But she runs out and she goes, look, I know there's only one real Superman, but you're my Superman. And she hands him the, the, the thing. I just thought it was a, a nice little. A that, nice little that's little. lovely. It, it reminds me of that Supergirl episode, um, Human for a Day, which I think was actually inspired by a comic from the grounded storyline. But essentially, Supergirl has no powers and she has to talk down a, a person who's holding up a, um, a convenience store. And she has no powers and she's in her costume and she's like, you know, do you really want to do this? And she talks him down successfully and such a good moment in that show. That that was, I think it was like episode six or seven. And I was like, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm really, really on board with the show now. Um, So yeah, definitely go back and check that out if you haven't already. There was, there was a, there's a lovely one in it as well about, uh, I don't know if you like that one, the one with Jimmy Olsen and it, it, Jimmy, it shows Jimmy taking all the really epic photos of Superman in battle and the, the reporter asks him what was his favorite shot that he ever took. And it's a, a story about how he took this crazy shot of Superman fighting somebody, but he had the cap on the, Superman pointed out that he had the, the cap on the, on the camera oh, as they were no. sitting on top of the Daily Planet later on. And he looks at the, he turns the camera, he's like, oh no. And he takes off the cap and as he's taking it off, it clicks and he gets a photo of the two of them laughing their heads off as they sit. And that's his favorite photo. I thought that was a lovely little story as well. But uh, yeah, so look, not a, not an overly long episode tonight. Just a, a nice little a nice little uh, tribute to uh, Superman uh, Red and Blue, that we a, a book we really enjoy. Absolutely, yeah. I hope to do more of these kind of comic-centric ones. Um, people are really, really, really bigging up the, the current run of Superman comics. So it would be good to jump onto those, maybe and do a couple of, maybe an episode on those. Um, and yeah, just really, really check out Superman Red and Blue and check out Adventures with Superman. Um, and yeah, any any of those other anthology stories are just super duper and they're well worth checking out. Do you want to give the socials wrap? Uh, yes, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at All Star Super Fan. You can follow us on, Inst- on Twitter, I should say, at All Star Super Pod. 
Uh, please rate and review the podcast wherever you get it, especially on Apple Podcasts, because their algorithm is based on ratings. And uh, yeah, and send us a an email with all your thoughts and considerations of the stories we've mentioned tonight. Do you like anthology stories or do you prefer kind of longer form comic arcs? And uh, if you like anthology stories, let us know which ones you really, really like. Um, and yeah, hope to hear from you soon. And we'll do another mailbag episode very soon as well. Excellent. So until next time, folks, stay safe, stay super and take care. Bye bye.